When I was growing up, my parents taught me this, don't judge a book by its cover. In other words, don't evaluate someone or something simply by the outward appearance. But I think if we're honest this morning, every one of us have done that multiple times and perhaps maybe even this week. We are guilty of what I call cover condemning by only looking at the cover of the book or people or whatever it might be. Case in point, have you ever gone to a restaurant that someone told you that was really great and you pull up to it and you look at the building and you go, oh no. You look at the building, you look at the outside and you say, how could, this is not going to be good. And then you walk inside and you decide to go through with it and you sit down and you order a meal and you go, wow. And then we even make this little statement, for a hole in the wall place, this food was pretty good. And we can't even stop ourselves because we're still stuck on how could the food be so good when the building looks so bad? Because you can't judge a restaurant by its building, right? Or I remember growing up when I was in school on our basketball team, we went to a Christian school. It wasn't hardly much bigger than ours, but we had a high school even. And our starting lineup in basketball was 6'6", 6'5", 6'4", and then I was the smallest guy on the team for a little Christian school. And we went to this tournament one time, and we were always, almost always the biggest team, without a doubt. And so the first team, we came out on the court running, warming up, and the other team came out, and everyone on that team was no bigger than me at the best. So I turned to my friend who was 6'6", I go, you know, it's always good to start a tournament with an easy win. We lost by three. Because I looked at that team and I thought, you know what, you can't judge a team by the size of its players. Not only that, but have you ever had a Christmas, you're, maybe you were a kid especially, or you've had your, someone through a birthday party for you and someone comes in with this really nice, large, beautifully decorated box and present. It's got a big ribbon on a bow in it and you're thinking the whole time, I can't wait to open that one because look at that box. That is awesome. I did that one time from one of my grandmothers sent me a package. I said, this is really awesome. Mom and dad, I want to open this one first. And I opened it up and inside was this hideously ugly sweater that I never even wore one single time. Have you ever got the sweater in the, you know, the pre- that you can't judge really a present by its cover, can you? Not only that, <laughs> but perhaps you've ever been to someone else's house for dinner and you go in their house and they, you walk in and you meet the people and you talk with them and everything and they've got this little dog and this little dog is there and he looks so cute and you want to go down and pet him and you go like this. Yeah. That dog looks so nice on the outside, on the inside. I think he thinks he's a German shepherd or something. But it's not just those things, right? <laughs> You, you know, you look at this beautiful diamond someone has, and you ask them about it, and they said, oh, it's not that great. It's, it's just cubic zirconia. It's, it's, it looks awesome, but it's only worth 20 bucks. This ring is so beautiful, and, you know, what is that gold? That, no, it's just pretend. It's gold-plated, that's all. It, it isn't really worth anything. And we, and we have it all. In fact, the little phrase comes, all, that's, all that glitters isn't gold, right? Because you can look at the outside, And we do it all the time. But the inside, you can go to a church's website and see all these awesome things, but when you go to the church, it may be completely different. See, what? because that's true, isn't it? We like to, we, 
I don't want to say naturally, look at the outside and judge the inside. See, God gives us a principle, and we read it in 16.7. He says, don't look on the outward appearance or on the height of Eliab's, that's David's oldest brother's stature. Here's what God says, because I rejected him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. The man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. See, don't judge a king by his appearance. That's what he's saying. But you know why? Because God sees differently. God sees deeper. God sees below the surface of your life. Now, that's not hard for us to grasp, is it? Because we live in a society, we live in a culture where image is everything. And I don't think it's much of an exaggeration at all. In fact, maybe it's not enough to say that we live in a time like no other time in all of history where appearance matters more to more people than ever before. From selfies to social media to Facebook to TV, movies, plastic surgery, walking, uh, working out all the time, designer clothes, music, on and on and on it goes. Man looks on the outward appearance. And I would tell you this, today he doesn't just look on it, he lives by it. See, we are obsessed with externals, beauty, makeup, polishing things, sleekness, brilliance, talent, success. IQ, money, fame, and because of all those things, too often, even some of God's people fail to see as God sees. Can I tell you all those things I've listed? They are not crucial at all to define who you are. They're not even basic in any way, shape, or form. They're not even secondary to who you are. See, if you live that way, you always have to be comparing yourself to someone else. And you'll never be able to see who you are where it really matters, who you really are on the inside, your heart, your character. Today, I want to take that God-given principle that we learned in 1 Samuel 16, 7, and I want to use it as a lens. And what I want to use it as a lens for is so that you can see the story of David and Goliath and the battle they had in a different way than perhaps you've ever seen it. It's on a Memorial Day weekend, so I thought it was a good time to have a text on a battle, but with some really personal and important lessons on how we see ourselves and how we see our battles, because you're going to see in this text that there's really only two approaches to how you see yourself and, as a result, how you see your battles. You can either see yourself as man sees you, or you can see yourself as God sees you. And can I tell you this morning, right off the top, that matters, and it matters a lot. In fact, it may or make or break your entire life. So my main idea is this. Please listen. How you look at life will determine how you live your life. Let me say it again. How you look at your life will determine how you live your life. Let me show you how that was true in David. Seeing ourselves, chapter 16 and 17, and although you may not see it, most of it's in the English, some of it is not, but those two chapters are filled with a repeated verb over and over and over again, actually some 12 to 15 times. And it's the word translated, and you'll see it, the word see or look. In chapter 16 and verse 1, if you'll turn there with me, if you're not there already, chapter 16 and verse 1 
It reads this, the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul? He wasn't mad, God wasn't upset that he grieved, but he was grieving too long. Since I have rejected him from being king over Israel, fill your horn with oil and go, I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite. And it says this, for I have provided for myself a king. The word provided in the Hebrew is the word to see. It literally would be translated this, I have seen me a king. In other words, God says, I've looked down and I've seen this is the guy that I choose to be a king. Now, that's important for us because right away, God's going to apply this principle, this principle of this contrast of how God sees a king with how Samuel sees a king. If you know anything about the history, Saul has been king before now for many years. And at first look, if I can say it that way, he seemed to be the perfect guy to be king. In 1 Samuel 9 and verse 2, don't turn there, it says this, that there was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than him. So when you looked at Saul, when you saw him on the outside, his appearance was this, he was a good-looking guy. And he wasn't just good-looking uh, he was more than that. It says, and it goes on in the verse, that from the shoulders up, he was taller than everybody else. Now, that is a big deal in a story where the big guy on the opposing force was really tall. You could say this, that Israel had a Goliath too, and it was Saul. He was their Goliath. He's the one that's supposed to fight and face all the other Goliaths. Because that's who Saul was on the outside. He looked to be the guy that should be the Goliath killer, but we all know the story. He was not. He failed miserably as a king. You know why? Because appearances only don't win battles. So this time around, God says, I'm going to I'm, I'm get to be the one who chooses the king. And so he tells Samuel to go to Jesse's house, and he's going to have this little clandestine meeting. No one really knows about it. And they're going to do this little thing where all the sons of Jesse walk before Samuel, and when the right one walks before him, God will give him the proverbial nudge, and he'll say, this one. And so if you read the text, and you look over in chapter 16, the first one to come by is Eliab. Now, Eliab is the oldest. He's the biggest and it says this, look at chapter 16 and verse 6. If you're circling, circle this again. Second use of the word see. And when they came, he looked. See, there it is. He looked at Eliab. He saw him. And when he looked at him, even Samuel, the prophet of God, couldn't stop himself from seeing his man sees. Because he looked at Eliab, the oldest, the biggest, the taller, the bravest, military experience. See, he's in it. And Samuel says this, surely, like, all right, we don't need any other guys to come by the parade. No one else needs to walk by. This is the guy. It has to be. And God says, nope. Nope. And then he says to him in verse 7, why? He says, I've rejected Eliab. And by the way, the same word rejected that describes Eliab because of how big he was is the same one used in 16.1 where it says to Saul, Samuel, stop crying, stop weeping. I've rejected Saul. See, all Eliab was was another version of Saul 2.0. In fact, they paraded all of the sons, and there were seven of them. 
And many of them, in fact, the first three are mentioned later on in the story, they're already in the military. They're all the older ones. They have experience. They know how to be a warrior. And God doesn't choose any of them. You know why? Because this time around, God's looking for a king that has a different resume. He's not looking for a resume with all the stuff on the outside. He's looking for a king who has stuff on the inside. A different kind of resume. See, see, God's king is to be a guy who is first and foremost a faithful follower and then perhaps a fierce fighter. But that's not how we do it. See, we're looking for people and perhaps looking to be ourselves all the things that everybody would say, oh yeah, surely you're the one. So Samuel asked Jesse after all the seven go by and God says, vetoes all of them. You got any more? Samuel's baffled. He goes, well, on a side note, I do have one more. And he's out, and it actually introduces the phrase, behold, in verse 11, he's out keeping the sheep. See, Verse 7, 16, 7, four times man sees as God, doesn't see as God. See, four times he uses the verb see again. Why? Because he wants to drill this into us. He wants us to really seep down deep into us. That's how we function. That's how we look at others too often. And by the way, how we look at ourselves. Robert Alter has a commentary on the entire Old Testament. He's actually a translator and is pretty much the best translator I've ever read. He says the Hebrew word describing David by his dad as youngest is a combination word which means he is young in age, but also because that he's inconsequential. In other words, David never even got invited inside the house to go before Samuel because nobody thought it was worth the time. He was young, he was inconsequential, and when people over looked at him, they tended to overlook him. Alter says in his commentary, actually, that David was kind of a male Cinderella. He was doing all of his domestic chores, watching the sheep, and never even got invited to the ball because nobody thought it mattered. Nobody thought that he mattered. It's kind of like a movie, going back and forth. The scene is all the kids, all the sons walking before him in the scene of David out by the sheep by himself. And he goes back and forth, back and forth. And you really don't know why until you realize, oh, David's the one. See, David was the eighth son out of seven. Seven in the Bible is the number of completion. David was an extra. And that's what everybody thought. They really didn't need him. If we were today, we would call David would have been the runt but he became the royal runt. You know why the difference? Because he had a heart for God. 1 Samuel 13, 14 says, here's why I choose David, because I'm looking for a man after my own heart. I'm looking for someone, and maybe God says that this morning. You know what I'm looking for? I'm looking for people at Faith Baptist Church. I'm looking for some guys and some ladies, and I want them to be different on the inside. I want what makes what matters most to them to be what happens to them on the inside, not what everyone else sees themselves to be on the outside. Can I tell you, that's what's important. That's what God's looking for. How do you see yourself? 
Do you see yourself as man sees you, or do you see yourself as God sees you? Because I tell you, this is important because every single day there is not a prophet parade, but there is a people parade, and you walk by all the time. You and many others are filing by every day, and people look at you and judge you and look at you and see what you're really all about. And if you keep following the people's parade and have to get their appearance and their attention, their acceptance, you'll never be enough. You'll always be comparing yourself to someone who's smarter and more beautiful or prettier or better or faster. I read a commentary this week that said, why do you look at that to believe that you are important? And then it went on to list some that's. What is your that? What are you looking for today that you, when you look to that in your life, that you think it makes you important? Is it your looks, your beauty? Perhaps for some it's your SAT scores. That's really what makes you valuable. Your scholarships that you're going to earn. Maybe perhaps, like I used to think, it was your athleticism or what you could do in sports or maybe your vocal abilities or some talent that you have that you, prefer, you hope that is better than others. Maybe it's your financial success in this world. Did you see the two resumes? Saul, in chapter 9, verse 2, it said he was more handsome than everybody else. But you know when it came to David, it said he was ruddy and he was handsome. That's what the Bible... Now, see, they both were handsome. They both had outside stuff. But the one that God wanted, the one that God chose, was the guy who had the outside stuff, but he had, most of all, had the inside stuff. See, it's not this morning that if you're beautiful, God says, well, you need to get ugly quick. It's not like if you're smart, God says, I want you walking around there. It's not that at all. See, here's what God says. I don't want you to eliminate your outer stuff. I want you to demote it. I don't want it to matter to you nearly as much as it does. I want you to start seeing your outside stuff through your inside stuff, not the other way around, he says. See, what God really wants from you this morning, he wants you to see yourself as he sees you, not as everybody else sees you. He wants you to value him and being like him more than what other people think and say about you. See, he wants you to see yourself through his eyes. You know why? Because when he looks at you, if you're a Christian, he looks at you through Jesus. And he wants you to know that in the world, that'll never be enough. But with me, it is. You're always enough for him because he sees you through Jesus. See, until you get a grip on that, you won't be ready to face your Goliaths. You won't be able to see your battles, and you won't be able to see them clearly. And I can tell you this, because you start thinking about it and start moving in that direction, it's not going to be easy because everything in our world, including maybe some of your family members and closest friends and a lot of things going on in Christianity today, not to mention our world, will be completely opposed to it. And let me tell you, that's our second point. This text with all the verbs to see and look in chapter 16. How do you see yourself? See, here's what David needed to know. Here's what Samuel needed to learn. Here's what Israel needed to be learned. God is looking for someone, and what makes a difference in his life, and, I mean, in his mind and in your life, is not what you pretend to be on the outside, what you really are on the inside. How does that matter, Pastor Walker? 
Because God's going to show you, if you don't see yourself as he sees you, then you won't see your battles right either. The whole text of chapter 17 is antithetical. Let me show you what I mean. At the beginning verses, it says there are two armies, Philistines and Israel. There are two mountains, and that's how battles were fought back then. Mountain on this side, mountain in the valley, Elah was between them, and that's where they would fight each other. So there's two armies, there's two mountains, and there are two champions. One is the outward champion. One has everything you could possibly want on the outside, i.e. Goliath. And the other champion, well, he doesn't have any of those things. He's the inward champion. And interestingly enough, the word champion in Hebrew means this, literally, the man between In other words, the guy between the mountains who would stand in the valley representing his people to fight and do everything necessary to deliver them from their enemies. That's what a champion was. And can I tell you, the Philistines had the champion on the outside. See, the description of him starting in 17.4 for a number of verses. In fact, I looked it up. It is the longest description of any personal individual in all of the Old Testament. Nobody gets more verses describing what they look like than Goliath. And there's a reason. He is outwardness. And he is a superlative view of it. There's no one else like him. He is just over eight feet tall. He has a helmet of bronze. He wears armor of bronze on his chest all the way down to his legs. It's estimated that his armor alone weighed 150 pounds. His bronze javelin was itself on the tip of it. And the last part that had the, you know, the spear part on it, 125 pounds. He's throwing something distances that are 125 pounds. He has a shield that's so heavy that he has to have an armor bearer come and carry that too because he's got so much other weight he's carrying. This guy is Hulk Hogan in armor. If looks could kill, he would have done it already. And like chapter 16, chapter 17 continues the verb to see and to look over and over again. Verse 24, it says... All the men of Israel, when they, here it is, saw the man. When you just looked at him, you started, you were afraid, terrified. That's the word. They were terrified, much afraid. They were shaking in their literal boots. Because when you looked at him, he was big, he was bad, and he was bronze. He had all of that stuff. There's nobody individually who wants to go out and stand before this guy. He is a warrior's warrior. And over and over in the text, Back and forth, it describes him. He's a man, David's a boy. Boy, youngest, little, nothing, man, warrior. All the, they are opposites of one another. In fact, so much that they looked at him. They looked at him for 40 days. 40 days, a month and a half. He comes out every day and taunts them. Nobody, one look was enough, much less 40 looks at him. See, can I tell you this? Listen. When you see your battles as man sees them, when you see your Goliaths as man sees them and you don't see them as God sees them, you know what's going to happen? It will begin to undermine your faith. And you will begin to be controlled by fear. See, it will paralyze you 
They couldn't do anything. They wouldn't take a step toward him for 40 days. The biggest guy, their Goliath, wouldn't face the other Goliath for 40 days. Saul, the leader, the example, did nothing. See, there are teenagers here in our church today. And see, you go to a school where you may be the only Christian there, or there aren't very many And you know what you're afraid of? You're afraid that if you stand for Christ and you do what's right, you don't dress like everybody else. See, the Bible says that here's the sign of a godly woman. It is not the beauty of the outside. And it says, not the plating of your hair, not the makeup, not the the jewelry that you wear, not that you can't wear them. He says, but it's the personal, hidden person of the heart. See, that's what God wants. But see, in our mind, we're looking at everybody else and look how they dress. I got to dress like that. I got to look like that. And we fear that if we don't, see, we'll be unpopular, made fun of, loneliness, ostracized, and it begins to control us. See, you go to your job, and there's all kinds of things that they want you to do. They want you to go on business trips, and they want you to drink with the buddies and with the boss, and they want you to cut corners and do things unethical, and they want you to stand for things that you don't believe in. And see, if you don't see things as God sees, you don't view those things, you don't see your life, you don't see your job as God sees it, see, you're going to be afraid because you'll lose the promotion. You might even lose your job. Singles. See, you look out and you're wanting to date someone or you want to get married, but you're not yet. And see, you don't see it as God sees it. Because you're wondering, if I don't date this guy, and maybe if I'm not doing all the things he wants me to do, so maybe I'll never get married. So you begin to dress a certain way, live a certain way, maybe even live together for a while, because that's what it takes, isn't it? Because you're afraid. You're afraid, if I don't do those things, see, I'll never get what I really think will make me happy in life. See, David, the entire chapter of chapter 17, here's what it's over and over again. People see him, and they don't think that he can be what God says he is. He comes up to the battle because his dad, Jesse, has some food. Take it to your brothers, right? So he meets his first brother again, the one that was rejected by God right off the bat. And his brother knows all this, right? But he comes to the battle And here's what his brother says in verse number 28. You just came here, verb again, to see the battle. See, his brother doesn't believe in him. He's been anointed king, and his brother knows it. And he says, you know what? You know what? You came here. You just came here to see the battle. See, because his brother doesn't believe in him. His brother doesn't believe that he could really be the king, although he's been anointed. His brother doesn't see him that way. And his own family turns against him. Can I tell you, listen, you may be the only one in your family that lives this way. You're the only one who sees life like you do. And everyone can't believe that you think that that's the way to live. (laughs) They doubt it. You're going to get that opposition. But that's why Eliab was rejected. Because he's just an outward guy. But that's not all. News gets back to Saul That David's going around now that he's been here. I'll go fight this guy. I'll fight this Philistine. And he gets around finally. Saul hears it and he says, bring him in here. And he has an audience with the king. And he goes up there and he says in verse 32, no one's heart should fail because of him. Your servant will go fight with him. And Saul says to him, you can't go. 
In verse 33, it says this, you are not able. You're going to hear that. You're not able. You can't win a battle like that. You can't fight. There's no victory in store for you. Do you understand who you are? You're not able. And he, the Bible says he looks at David and he doesn't see him as championship material. You're too young. You're too experienced. Because Goliath is everything that you're not. In fact, Saul is so upset that he gives him his own armor and says, David, put it on. And he can't put it on because it's too big for him. He's dragging it. He can't use the sword. You know, here's what he says. You're not a champion. That's how his brother sees him. That's how Saul sees him. Why in the world would you go out there? But that's not all. He gets on the battlefield and finally Saul says, go and the Lord be with you. Like, I know this isn't going to turn out well, but do what you got to do. He goes out to face Goliath and the Bible says in verse 42, the verb again, and Goliath saw David. Now everybody looked at Goliath terrified. Goliath looks at David and laughs. He laughs. What a joke. 40 days and this is what I get? This is what you send out to me? And it says, he disdained him. In other words, today we'd say, he starts trash-talking him. And he does. What am I, you're going to beat me with sticks next? He says, am I a dog? You're going to beat me with some stick? And he trash-talks him. He says, this is it? You're going to send this little kid out to me? But he doesn't see David for who he really is. But see, David's different. He's got a heart of a champion. And what you can't see that he is a great champion but he's a champion from the inside out. And therefore, listen, he's different in how he sees Goliath from everyone. He's different than his brother. He's different than his king. And certainly he's different from Goliath. He sees Goliath for who he is. And he says to Saul, you know why I can fight this guy? And then he says this, because I have a history with God. He says, when I was a boy and I was keeping the sheep from my father, lions would come and bears would come and I would take them and I would separate them from the land and I would deliver them and I would take them by the beard and I, would, I could kill them. And so he says, and this Philistine will be like one of them. In other words, he's just like another animal. See how he sees him differently? He's not some great guy that nobody can overcome. He's just like one of the animals. I've already taken care of animals like him. I've already done this. And let me tell you this. See, when you, have, when you see as God sees, it's not that you have self-confidence. He's not saying, hey, I can take Goliath because I've taken a lion and a bear. Do you know how he talks? Look, listen how he talks. Look at verse 37 of chapter 17. And David said, circle it, the Lord Covenant God, all capitals. See, that's the story I live in, David says. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and bear. See, I've got stories. I know what God can do. See, David does not see what his enemies can do. He does not see what he cannot do. He sees what the Lord can do. That's how he sees and he says, the Lord did this for me, and he did this for me, and now I believe, see, I'm not afraid. And you know why he's not afraid? You know why he isn't controlled like fear like some of us are? Because he doesn't see like we see. 
He sees completely different than what we see because God's champions are champions from the inside out. And why does that matter, Pastor Walker? Why does that matter? Because that kind of champion does this. The way that they live their lives, they reverse the world's understanding of power and what matters most. Because for them, inside trumps outside. And when you live like that, it goes against the order of what everything's supposed to be in our world, and people are shocked. The Bible does it all throughout the Old Testament. The principle of primogeniture was that the first son was always the best son, and David is the last son, but he is the best son. It was Abel God chose, not Cain. It was Isaac, not Ishmael. It was Jacob, not Esau. It was Moses, not Aaron. When God wanted to reserve the line, he chose women to have the line of the Messiah who were barren and couldn't have children so that it would be obviously him. It was Samson, not his hair. It was not his personal strength. It was his vow that gave him strength. It was Gideon who won a battle, not with thousands, but with only 300. It was Ehud, the judge, who killed the king because he was left-handed. See, it's the forgotten sons, like David, who are out watching sheep and think everyone thinks they're a nobody. But see, being a shepherd and having a sling was the only thing that would have been able to bring Goliath down. The verb see is used one more time. 1751, the Philistines saw that their champion was dead. You see, God wants you to know, when you see as I see, there is no enemy you face, there is no battle that you are in that he can't triumph over. Bigger is not always better because inside is always better than outside. Can I close with this? There was another champion in Scripture. The champion but the Bible describes him too. In Isaiah 53 and verse 2, same verb, it says this. He has no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. See, when you saw Jesus, he was not anything special on the outside. He didn't have any special beauty. He had no special majesty. When you looked at him, you, didn't, you weren't impressed. There was nothing great about his outside, the Bible says. There's nothing about him when you saw him that would desire him. But the Bible says, even though man couldn't see, God could see. And when God chose a king, not just of Israel, but of the universe, here's what God says. I choose the inward king. I see the one, Jesus differently than everybody else. He didn't look like a Messiah, especially when he died in weakness on a cross. But can I tell you, he was. He was the most powerful champion of all times. He was the ultimate man in between. And he stood between you and me and our sin. And he conquered it. He conquered our sin and our hell and our death. He is the champion of all time. Is he your champion? Have you ever put your faith and trust in him? Now, see, you may think that you could do it. And on the outside, you try to be moral. You try to be religious. You try to be the good person. See, God will look at me and look at my life. 
you got it all wrong. That's not how grace works. That's not how salvation works. Here's how it works. The champion is who he looks ahead. The one who fought the battle you could never win and delivered you, he knew he could. Why? Because he knew God and saw as God sees. Can I tell you this? If you would give your life to him, or if as a Christian you know him, but you begin to say, God, change the way I see myself. Change the way I see things. See, God could change everything for you. I don't know what Goliath you face. I don't know what battle is in front of you. I don't know what you're going through. But I can tell you this. As long as you see yourself in the battles through your own eyes, you will be defeated. But if you change by the grace of God and you begin to see as God sees, everything can be different. Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed, perhaps you're here this morning, visitor, regular attender. You have to say, Pastor Walker, listen, I know about Jesus, but I, I have to be honest, I don't think he's my champion. I know that he stood between me and sin and hell and death when he died on the cross to pay for all my debt. And when he rose again from the grave, that was the victory I needed. But Pastor Walker, I'll be honest, I'm not sure if I know the champion. I'm not sure if he's my champion. No, listen, I'm not saying you're a bad person. I'm not saying you might even be religious. You are a church today, no? None of that means that you're a Christian. None of that means that you're saved unless you put your faith in God's champion. You say, Pastor Walker, I don't think I've ever done that. But I'd like to know him. I'd like to make Jesus my champion, that his death and resurrection paid for my sins. I'd like to know his forgiveness and have his salvation. Please, Pastor Walker, with every head bowed and every eye closed, would you pray for me that I might have Jesus as my champion? Anyone, just slip your hand up and put it right back down, and I'll pray for you before we thank you for your hand. Anyone else? Balcony, main floor. I don't know Jesus as my champion, but I need to. I want to. Anyone else? Perhaps you're a Christian here this morning. Jesus is your champion, but you really haven't learned the lesson as you ought. You haven't applied the principle that God told Samuel. You're still looking on the outside. You're still living on the outside. And to be honest, as a parent, you're teaching your kids to do the same thing. As a, that's how you see your spouse. You only see what they can do for you or what they are on the outside. That's what you see your children on, that they could do this and they could get this and they could have this. And you're teaching them to grow up to be Saul's who can never beat Goliaths. Never. It's not that you should eliminate what they're good at. You've got to help them to demote it. Maybe that's true for you too. You're living on the outside, but what you are on the inside unbeknownst to most, is quite different. Maybe you're here this morning as a Christian and that's where you're struggling with right there. That's the battle you're facing and you're losing because you don't see things the way God does. I'd like to close in prayer for you as well. Would there be anyone say, Pastor Walker, that's where I am. As a Christian, I need to see myself and my battles and my children and my spouse or whatever it might be. I need to see them as God sees them. Pray for me. Would you just slip your hand up and I'll do that as we close in a moment. Numerous hands, numerous hands. Anyone else, just 
Slip it up. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Anyone else? Father, help us, like you, to see deeper, to see below the surface in ourselves, our spouse, our children. Help us to see who we really are and should be because of Jesus. And then we'll be able to see our battles and our Goliaths and the difficulties we face and the purpose of them and what you're trying to do in your story through our lives. Please, I pray for those who raise their hand who don't know you today that you by your Spirit's power would regenerate them, that they might have life, the blindness would be removed and out of death you would give salvation, eternal life. For those Christians who raise their hand as well, Father, I pray, work in their hearts, help them to see things as you see them by faith. Stop the comparing. Stop being controlled by fear. Accept fear of you. Be glorified in these things we ask for Christ's sake. Amen.